Well, greetings, New Hope Church. It is so great to see everyone here. Uh, my name is Matthew, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And uh, if you're a guest with us, we are especially pleased that you're with us today. Thank you so much for taking your time to join us here on our campus. Uh, we're delighted to be with you. And if you are a guest, I want to just highlight for you right outside uh, the doorway here is a welcome center. We've got friends there that would love to greet you and answer questions you may have. Also, just so you know, uh, during uh, the time just between our two worship gatherings here this morning, just down the hall in one of our uh, big rooms there is a number of us meeting just for a few moments uh, with those who are new. So if you're a guest here today, maybe the past two or three weeks, you want to stop by there couple of our elders, some staff. I'll pop in for a minute. I'd love to meet you. That'd be really fun. So, so don't hesitate to head down that way here uh, shortly. Listen, I want to give a shout out to Tim Brannigan. Is Tim in the room here today? Uh, let's see here. Let's see. Yes, right there. Can we give it up for Tim right there? Tim, we love you. Uh, many of you know Tim. Uh, deep roots here. So loved at New Hope Church, one of our ministry partners. And it's a delight, sir, to worship with you this morning. I'm so thankful you're here. And uh, speaking of delightful things, hey, I want to shout out for our December tithe. We just finished up here at the end of December, and what you may not know is we give uh, a 10% of what is over and above our budgeted requirements for that month. We give it to ministries in the area here. So you'll probably see on the screen here just a handful of those, the Evangelical Free Church's National Office, our friends at the Rosebud House of Prayer, John Perkins Foundation down in Mississippi, Sankofa, and then also our, our, our dear friends with Gideon's. These are just some. And so can we just thank the Lord? He's so kind to give us this. And I wanted you to be aware. Uh, and in speaking of his kindness, let me just say, too. I, our, our finance office reached out to me here to, uh, this week and said, uh, Pastor Matthew, we, we had a $124,000 estate gift given this week, and so can we just give it up to the Lord for, for his kindness there? This is such a, a blessing, and, and I wanted to say this to you because uh, God is uh, generous. He's a good and faithful God. He's so generous. He meets our needs, doesn't he? He meets your needs. He meets our needs as a church family. And uh, we, we want to just give him praise when we see him move in such special ways. And so I wanted you to hear that uh, with me uh, here this morning. Hey, you know what? We're also on the cusp of, or beginning, I guess. Well, let's see. Cusp suggests it's getting ready to start. It has already begun, Black History Month. And I'm so thankful for this experience that uh, we all get to participate in, uh, in whatever our rhythms are day in and day out, where we can... Uh, learn and appreciate, celebrate, listen, and otherwise uh, just honor our friends that uh, are of African descent. And uh, we're going to be doing more of that here as this month unfolds. Toward the end of the month, we're going to have our, our wonderful African Next Sunday. We're so excited about that. And uh, a couple of other uh, special things that uh, come between now and then you'll see that uh, I also am eager to tell you about. So uh, just just you know, praise God, praise God, praise God. In fact, let's do that right now. Let's just uh, go to him in prayer and praise. Thank you, Father, for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us so fully. Thank you for those joining us as part of our online community, wherever they are right now, wherever you are, if you're listening, if you're joining us as we're praying here, we're glad to be with you. Thank you, Lord, for these who are gathered here on campus. I'm so honored just to be with them. 
And all of us together cry out to you with joy because you are generous, you are good, you are moving in our midst, and we give you praise. You are worthy. You're a worthy God. Amen, church? You're a worthy God. We love you, God. You are a mountain mover. You are a worthy God. You roll stones away and then walk into the bright, sunny city of Jerusalem, alive, resurrected. Thank you, God. And we pray that that power will be ours to experience yet again, even now as we spend time in your word. Would you speak to us? Would you speak through us? Would you show us your glory? And you help us to conform more fully to the person of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. And all God's people said together, amen, amen. amen. All right, so uh, there was some, I, mean, I just shared with you some really good news, and we, that's some great things, right? So we have a special friend who's joining us here in attendance today. We've, we, we've heard some uh, notes about generosity. We're, we're stepping into what is a, a special season of the year with Black History Month. But, uh, you know, there was some bad news that came uh, some bad news. There was, well, the news, the news tells us of a city in turmoil, of political factions that are wreaking havoc, of ethnic tensions, of, of uh, an infrastructure that is in complete disarray, dire straits, and God's people are divided and discouraged and disoriented. Now this isn't a modern day story, though it certainly could be. We can all think of those places and moments. This actually is a story about ancient Jerusalem. And word had arrived all the way across the desert lands to a a man of rank, a man of power, a man who worked in the court of one of his time's great kings, a man named Nehemiah. He had a conversation with his brother. His brother had just come to visit him from Jerusalem. Tell me, what's up in that ancient city? Look here with me. Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through three. It happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel. These are the words of Nehemiah, as you can see there. That Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Let me pause a moment. Can I do that? Any of you today facing great trouble and shame? I'm so grateful for what we sang here a little bit ago as Pastor Harry and the team led us, I needed, I needed to reflect on the fact that our God moves mountains. 
And our God fights our battles. And I need to invite you to also just really take hold of that because there's many of us, many of us here. You have your own story, just like this great city of trouble and shame. Now look here, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. This is a tough word. And Nehemiah is seared by this. This sends him into uh, an emotional, a social, a physical, and a spiritual tailspin. He has never been to Jerusalem. Did you know that? He's never been there. But his spiritual roots are buried deeply in the soil of that ancient city of David. And he comes from a long legacy of a people called God's people, the Jewish people. And though he's never physically been there, his heart is there, his soul is there, his people are there. And he hears that there's trouble there, that the city is in disarray, and it wrecks him. So I asked a moment ago who amongst us here might be dealing with some kind of trouble and shame. I, I now want to ask, how do you respond? What is it for you to respond to things that are painful, that are hard? When you get news of something important to you and it's broken, how do you feel? What is your heart experience? How deflated might you be? What do you do about this thing that has come your way, this news? What role might you need to have in this matter, if any? Well, Nehemiah, he's overwhelmed, he's crushed. And I know some of you here are feeling something similar for whatever is in your life. But take hope, friends. As we sing, God will fight our battles. As we sing, God moves mountains. And you know what? As we will see, God builds walls. And he makes that which has fallen strong again. And he takes those who are discouraged and helps them to stand up straight with their heads up high. And he reconvenes, as it were, the beauties of righteousness and holiness and goodness when there seems to have been a dearth of such things. God's got that power. Do you believe that, church? Amen. He's got that kind of power. He rises up and he builds for us. And he calls us to join him, to move with him. And so it is our privilege to grow together, to reach out, to give all for sure, and to follow him wherever he leads. And somehow, in the midst of all the pain that he was experiencing as he was absorbing the news of things going on in Jerusalem, Nehemiah had an instinct about this. Nehemiah had a sense that perhaps he can call unto God and God will act, that God will move. And so in one of the most famous prayers in the Old Testament, 
we get some understanding of Nehemiah's heart. We find wisdom for what it is to call unto God. There are some learnings for us about prayer, about how to pray powerfully as a disciple of Jesus. We're going to consider that. Look with me here at Nehemiah's prayer. Now, I'll tell you now, it's a bit long, okay? So bear with me here. And uh, trust me, it's shorter than the prayers that my girls think I pray at mealtime. But nonetheless, it's still going to feel long to you. Here we go. Just listen as I read it. Nehemiah writes, and by the way, I want you to think of the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be spending the next several weeks, Lord willing, in this book. I want you to think of it as Nehemiah's memoirs, like a journal or a diary. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Any of you shed a lot of tears these past few days about something? Yeah, I see a hand over here. I have too, as a matter of fact. I sat in my office at home just a couple days ago feeling the weight of some matter that is personal to me and just cried. God sees those things. Here's Nehemiah, and he's saying, look, I, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Continued, by the way, suggesting perhaps it's a fairly normal rhythm for him to do that. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. Let me pause for a second there. Any of you ever feel like you cry out to God and the heavens are made of brass and your words bounce right off back to you? And here we have Nehemiah saying, oh, God of heaven, let your ears be open, attentive, hear my prayer. Let your eyes see me. Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. As soon as, here we go. Let's see here. Da, 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 da. There we go. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, and I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of the servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. 
I am the cupbearer to the king. Now this is the word of God. Can we just thank the Lord for his word? Praise God for the revelation of scripture. This is a gift that we have from the Lord. To know his heart. That's why I constantly refer to it as this love letter from the Lord to you and me. And here is Nehemiah pouring out his heart before God. Notice at the very end, he gives a bit of a detail. He says, I'm a cupbearer to the king. That's a man of high position. I said earlier, he's a man of great rank. And it would appear, based on the end of that prayer, that this prayer is the culmination of weeks. We will see next weekend, months. And it is his concluding thoughts, his concluding petition, as it were, before he goes into the presence of his king. But we'll get there next weekend, Lord willing. By the way, this is the first of at least nine prayers that are, are recorded by Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah. There are at least nine of them. So what we're gonna do these, these weeks is we're gonna learn more about prayer. We're gonna learn about the power of confession and penitence. We're gonna learn about leadership. We're gonna learn about community slash unity. We're gonna learn how to, how to deal with criticism. Any of, you, any of you have to deal with criticism in your world? I, I, hear, the, I hear the laughter, yeah. We're gonna learn something about resolve, fortitude, staying with it, even when times are hard. We're gonna learn about what it is to rise up and build as God's people. As individuals, with our vocations, our friends, our families, and our neighborhoods, but also as a church. Because that's what churches that are filled with God's spirit do. They rise up and they build. They, they do things for his glory. And that's what we're about here at New Hope Church. That's what we desire, to do things for his glory. We're gonna learn of these things, but today we're gonna to learn more about prayer. And there's something that I wanna highlight for you here. Uh, in fact, look, look here with me. Pay attention to where God's power may be applied to brokenness. Now, don't gloss over that too quickly. Look here with me, friends. Let me say it again. Pay attention to where God's power may be applied to brokenness. What are the broken things in your world? Do you have a prodigal child? Do you have a marriage that's just not quite working right now? can hardly keep up with the checkbook. Wait, we don't have checkbooks today. Let's see, your bank account empty? Are you worried about whether you're gonna lose your job? Are you anxious about the political year that we're in? Everybody say amen to that one right there, okay, yeah. 350 million Americans, and these are the ones we got. My goodness, all right. Um, whoo! 
I mean really people. That statement about applying God's power to what is broken assumes something here. It assumes you see what is broken, that you're paying attention, that you're asking questions, you're listening well, you're watching. Notice Nehemiah asked a question. Hanani, tell me, what's going on in Jerusalem? Oh, you really want to know? Maybe you should sit down. Is it that bad? It's pretty rough. What's the broken thing in your world? What's the opportunity? Here's where I'm going with this. Listen to me, friends. What's the opportunity in front of you to which God can apply his power? Because here's what happens. Too easily, you and I see the broken thing. We see the city with the crumbled walls. We see the, the, the people that are disoriented and despairing. We, we, and, and I'm speaking in, in large terms there, but maybe, maybe we just see the pain etched in our faces in the mirror. And what once were laugh lines are now channels for tears. Can you believe that in that moment and for that thing, God's got power? Because that is why Nehemiah is crying out to his God. God is capable. God is big. God's got authority. He's got power. And we ought to be a people, I'm calling us to be a people that in whatever realm we find ourselves in, we imagine, hey, to that problem, God's got power. To that relationship, God's got power. To that narrative of lies, God has power. And you fill in the blank, I know you've got plenty to fill in. Because all of us here have a story. And that story is filled with many episodes of broken things, either that we see or that we experience. And I want to invite us people, my dear friends, invite us to have the kind of prayer rhythms where when we see these things that aren't working, we in faith say, but you've got power. You can do this. Let's have that imagination, church. Let's be those kind of followers of Jesus that we see. I'm reminded of our Lord Jesus when he, oh, when he was going into Jerusalem on his way toward Calvary's tree, and he's looking out over that city, and he just weeps. He sees the brokenness, but you know what he met it with? His own dead body. Why? Because he knew his blood made things new. And he knew resurrection was coming. Power was available. All right, so that's one thing. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Wrestle with how you will engage beyond prayer. How you will move. I love the little notation at the very end of Nehemiah's prayer. Again, we'll see more next week. 
The, the prayer seems to be building toward this conclusion where he says in a seemingly random way, I'm a cupbearer to the king. What we don't fully know now, but Lord willing, we see when we step into Nehemiah chapter two, is it's one thing to pray that God would apply his power to the broken things. It's another thing to say, and count me in as part of the solution. Because what Nehemiah is doing is offering himself as part of the solution. It's not merely enough for him to pray. Now he's gonna act. It's not enough for him to say, God, you gotta do something. Now he's saying, and what do you want me to do? As Isaiah of old, as Isaiah of old said, Isaiah chapter six, send me, that's exactly right, Leroy, send me. Here am I, send me. Oh, friends, I'm reminded, I was thinking of this this morning, our Lord Jesus, there with his disciples, there in the Galilee, and there are 5,000 men out on the plain in front of him, and a, a, an array of boys and girls and wives and aunties and uncles and grandmas. and I mean, there was a massive crowd, tens of thousands when it was all added up. And they've been there all day, and Jesus is teaching them. And the disciples come up to him as the sun is setting, and they're like, Master, boy, the people are tired. They're hungry. They're pleading with Jesus, send them home. They're petitioning, that's a prayer word. They're petitioning Jesus. They don't have their hands folded and their eyes closed, but they are praying, as it were, petitioning Jesus, send them home, Lord, they're hungry. And what does Jesus say to his disciples? Anybody know? You give them something to eat, <laughs> right? And the disciples are like, are you kidding? We don't have the resources for that. Nehemiah understood, if I'm gonna call out to God and petition him, I better be ready when he says, what are you gonna do? What's your part in all this? And I just simply wanna say to you and me as we pray as disciples, let us have the heart of availability that says, God, I'm gonna call out to you and I'm gonna ask you to put your power on this broken thing. And God, if there's a role you have for me, you let me know I'm all in. There's a reason last weekend we spoke about giving all. Are we really serious about that? Lord, Lord, will you please do this thing? Will you please respond to that? Will you please apply your power here? Just don't let me be involved. Or might we say, here am I, send me. All right, so, but about the prayer itself, there are four instructive words that I want to share with you about Nehemiah's prayer. Here they are. Praise, penitence, promise, and petition. Praise, in fact, can we say these together in our, our good outside voice, ready? Praise, penitence, promise, and petition. Now, what I want you to know is this works as a fabulous structure for thoughtful prayer. We see it right here. In this prayer, 
Nehemiah begins by praising God, speaking to the grandeur of God. And then he goes on and he confesses sin. That's the penitence part. And then he moves to proclaiming God's promises. You said this. And then he wraps up, as it were, with a oblique here, but nonetheless, an intonation of petition, anticipating his audience with the king, which again, we'll see, Lord willing, in days ahead. And I would submit to you that praise and penitence and promise and petition can be an excellent tool for you as you think, how can I pray? How can I have more structure, more meaning? But here's what I don't want you to do. Don't see it as this checklist, you just bullet stuff off in, in some rote or rigid fashion. Think of it as just simply uh, a, 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 a resource that can become somewhat subconscious for you so that as you talk to Jesus, you will have an imagination for giving him glory, for confessing sin, for, for holding him to his promises, and for asking him of those things that, that only he can provide. Does that make sense? Now what I wanna do here is focus on two of the things. You can, you can have a, a reasonable imagination for all four, but let me lean into the two of them. First one is the one on penitence here. Unfettered penitence, unqualified confession, coming clean before God for sure, and when needed, others. This really matters. And again, it's not so much, oh, oh, okay, I'm at that part of the outline. Lord, I'm sorry. It's really not so much about checking off the list. It's about having a heart that is humble as part of my rhythm of prayer. I want a heart that praises and a heart that, 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 that confesses. I'm a sinner saved by your grace because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God, praise God. And 1 John 1, 9 invites us, confess your sins because God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. There's something here that Nehemiah does. I want to highlight it briefly. When he is confessing his sin in verses 6 and 7, one is he is offering unequivocal clarity. He is not ambiguous. He's not skimming the Milky Way of ambiguity. He, he, is, he is clear, we did this. You don't hear, now I hear this all the time in the public square and sometimes even around here. You don't hear this. Well, if I hurt you, you know what I'm talking about, church? You, you hear this out in the headlines, some, some politician or some famous actor or, or some other personality gets caught doing something, saying something, whatever. Well, for any of you that maybe I might have could have hurt, I'm sorry. What kind of apology is that? That's not an apology. That's equivocation and justification. And you don't see that with Nehemiah. He is dead on clear. Here's where we have failed. He's not mincing words. I just want to plead with you, when it's time to repent, whether it's to God or your neighbor, own it. Just own it. Own it. But you know the other thing that he does? Not only is he crystal clear, but he's willing to associate with his people and their history of sin. Now listen to me, church. I know the responses. I've heard them all. 
Well, he wasn't there for that. That was long before his time. Well, but he's, but he's a godly and righteous man. That's all true. And Nehemiah chose to identify with the sin of his community. Because when it's all said and done, guess what? We live in community. And so what you have here is Nehemiah saying, yeah, he might say, yeah, you know, I wasn't there. But I identify with these people because that's how, that's how my life is structured. That's the world that I'm in. That's the way God has wired my existence. And these people, we, we have sinned. Now we'll talk more about that in weeks ahead, but I appreciate uh, scholar Raymond Brown's thoughts on this. Look here. Nehemiah did not pray for them as a man detached from the enormity of his people's past transgressions and repeated failures. He's not removed from it, detached from it. Neither are we, by the way. Neither are you. We should be among those who say, you know what? I benefit from all this. I am part of all this. And so I'm willing to associate with it as a matter of integrity and courage and conviction. And that, that is what we see Nehemiah do. All right, so that's petition. Now here's, here's promise. I love this. Remembering God's covenantal promises for us now through Christ's shed blood and the combination of such with his mighty acts Oh, this is vital for you and me. In verses eight and nine, you see Nehemiah. He says, look, God, you, you told us this, and it came about. You said, if we rebel against you, you will discipline us, and when we are disciplined, you will deliver us. And that's what you're doing, God. You made a promise, and you keep your promises. He's a promise keeper. And what Nehemiah, in effect, is doing in his prayers, he's going into the scriptures, he is seeing the character and the activity of God, and he's saying, you, you have done this, you said you will deliver us, and you have shown us in the past that you do, and you have done it then, I'm going to trust you to do it now. We sang about this last week, he was a healer then, he's a healer now. He was the Savior then, he's the Savior now. This is what Nehemiah is essentially doing in his prayer. And you know, claiming the promises of God is so good for our souls. You know why? It strengthens us. It aligns us with the will and purposes of God. It imagines for us that he will continue to be faithful because he has been faithful. And here's something else it does. It gives us rest. I don't have to strive. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be afraid. Why? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Because he's good he does what he says he'll do. What are the promises that we know of this great God and King? I will be with you yes. until the end. 
My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. You confess your sins and you will be forgiven and, and cleansed of your unrighteousness. Do not fear, I am with you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, do not be afraid. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. On and on and on, promise after promise after promise. What a great God we have. And the opportunity is to remember, to remember in our prayers, which means time in the word, Time with God's people to remember. Uh, this takes us to this table right now. An opportunity to remember. Uh, many of you right here in this space or online, in Christ you have opportunity to remember. Let's do that now. On that night in which Jesus was betrayed, he and his disciples gathered in a borrowed dining room there in the city of Jerusalem. There they celebrated the great Passover feast. That time, aeons earlier, when God and his mercy liberated his enslaved people from the brutality of the Egyptians. The meal is a very rigid meal, very structured. There's a moment in the meal called the unity loaf where the participants, they, they break bread together. And it is their way of saying, as we partake, we are united as boys and girls under the care of a covenant God who's faithful and true. They got to that part of the meal and Jesus turn things slightly. He said to them, this is my body broken for you. Eat of it in remembrance of me. What? The disciples had no understanding of what he spoke. But what Jesus knew was in a matter of hours, his body would be broken on that Roman cross. Tortured crown of thorns, nails. You've heard me say many times, and I want to say it again, it is remarkable to me that the sinless, holy Jesus became broken, so all of us sinful, unholy, broken people could be made whole. Did you hear that? Later in the meal, Jesus took a goblet of wine. He thanked his father for it, and he passed it to his disciples. It was a common cup. This particular point of the meal was for them to remember their redemption from their slavery so long before. When God had told the Israelites, take the blood of lambs and paste it over the doorposts and thresholds of your homes. And when the angel of the Lord makes his way through Egypt to smite the Egyptians for their injustices, I will see the blood that is shed and pass over those homes. Thus the name Passover. 
And of course, that shed blood was a foreshadowing of the greater Lamb of God who shed his blood once and for all so that all who sin, all of us who would call on him will be free and forgiven and new. There is no more precious commodity in all of time and space than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He said to his disciples as they were getting ready to take of it, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it as often as you will in remembrance of me. So you have your elements with you. In this moment, as we worship, partake with a spirit of gratitude, confession, joy, and remembrance.